Music is one of those things that has a role in everyone's life, yet is understood by the general public at a very baseline level, where when listening to a song, the majority of people don't usually think anything other than, oh, this song is really catchy. And I too used to listen to songs simply saying, oh, I really like this song. But I, I grew to develop my understanding of these songs and music in general and have transitioned from just accepting a catchy tune to really analyzing what truly makes the song so good. And I've come to perform this quote-unquote musical analysis with most songs that I listen to. It's, it's kind of a subconscious thing for me at this point, which is probably why I absolutely cannot do work and listen to music at the same time. But today I wanted to free you from musical captivity. Open your eyes to the whole new world of music theory and analysis. I'm your host, Bailey Goldstein, and in this episode, how truly everyone has a good ear for music. Sharing with you the musical knowledge you didn't know you had that will hopefully make hearing a song on the radio a heck of a lot more interesting. What makes one song better than another? Why is your favorite song your favorite song? Maybe there's a sort of completeness about it, a cool chord progression, an interesting key change. There are so many things that can make a song unique. And let me just start off by saying I have no music theory background whatsoever. Just as a musician, these are sort of the things I've picked up on and am drawn to when I hear music. For example, one of my favorite techniques used quite often in music that everyone secretly understands is called resolution, or resolving a sort of dissonant chord into a more consonant, complete chord. Resolution brings us back home. For instance, if I play this chord here, uh, you don't need any musical understanding to know that it should go here, right? Doesn't it sound very classical? Uh, resolution goes hand-in-hand hand with what's known as a suspension, which again is a more inherently, inherently understood technique. In fact, in a suspended chord like this, for example, right, which is so close to a perfect G major chord, I just switched the, the third with the second, making it a suspended chord, um, you know, you just want it to go to a D, right? You know, you just hear that resolution and it, it feels so complete. Uh, a suspension is used to build up lots of tension and emotion. And while there's a lot of music theory behind it, you know, prolonging a common note while the underlying harmony changes, it's just such a natural sound to the ears so that, you know, when you reach that resolution, there's this whole completeness and, and relief about it. But besides suspension and resolution, Another very intuitive and innate musical understanding is scales, which is essentially how I am able to play the piano. So from a very young age, I would just sort of figure things out really without understanding why, solely based on scales and what sounded good. For example, if I'm in the key of B flat, right, you automatically know it should sound something like this, right, and not like, I mean, that just sounds bad to the ear. Um, and very similarly in, in the key of F, right, you know, you know right off the bat that this just sounds bad. And to fix it, you simply make this B a B flat, right? So, I mean, that just sounds way better. And, you know, this kind of knowledge is present in everyone. You just might not have realized it yet. But 
Now that you have a better sense of your true musical capabilities, we will be sharing a few words with Dr. Jeff Kinsey, a man who has devoted himself to music and has made it his true passion right after the break. Hey, Dr. Kinsey, how are you? I'm great, Bailey, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you for taking this time. Um, so, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about the baseline musical knowledge that all people have for what sounds good and bad. And so I already talked a little bit about, you know, suspension, resolution, scales, uh, but throughout your experiences, do you have any other examples to show how we naturally understand music? Well, it's funny. I think that a lot of music, you know, Eastern versus Western music can be wildly different and is when we approach harmony. But I think one thing as a, as a species that we're all sort of uh, ingrained with very early on in our development as children is pulse and rhythm, right? One of, I, I, I'm not really, you know, call me out on, on the facts here, but I'm fairly certain that one of the earliest things that we develop in the womb is, is our hearing in terms of our senses. And, um, you know, it's interesting to me because one of the first things that we hear are our mother's heartbeat, right? And our heartbeats are a steady pulse, right? So from a very, very, very early age, we are sort of um, programmed to feel a steady pulse, right? Right. So, so on one hand, we can talk melodically about you know suspensions uh, resolving or, or um, you know scales uh, resolving on their their tonic uh, uh, notes, but um, one thing that I think a lot of times that is omitted from the conversation is is this this fact that we we are you know rhythm is such an important part of music. Mm -hmm. Right, without the rhythm, without the rhythmic context, oftentimes the, the melody doesn't really have much to say, and and so you know a very natural thing for us is to keep that steady one, two, three, four, and then you know moving on to our brain's natural tendencies to you know have some sort of uh, symmetry or um, just repeating pattern, right? One mm -hmm. and two and three and four and one and a two and a three and a four and equally um, dividing those beats. So. Yeah, and I I would say that. You know, you, you hit the nail on the head there because that's like exactly how I guess I, you know, perceive music is, is all through rhythm. Um, and so, I mean, that's again how I, you know, memorize all like the songs I play on piano. I don't really, you know, read sheet music or anything like that. Um, I just kind of have like the, the rhythm of the song in my head and, and you know, know what is to come next. Um, I mean, that's probably why I've always wondered why I can't like, you know, play a piano part and then sing like a different melody at the same time. Um, I think it's just because the two like counter rhythms is just way too complicated for me since I'm just solely focused on like the rhythm of the songs and things like that. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I mean, aside from, uh, you know, all the, the musicality behind certain songs and, and all that, um, you know, it, I've always thought about like, did you ever reach a, a point where you felt as though you had like all the knowledge you could possibly gain about music theory? <laughs> um, so that's an interesting question. You know, you had asked me that and I, I've been thinking about that a lot. And, and the, the short answer is, well, no. Um, 
but yes, <laughs> but no. Um, it's it's just because I don't feel like I need a lot of music theory to appreciate what I'm listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it's no because this is funny because you had asked me this. And, and uh, Mr. Banks, the, the new choral teacher, and I were actually talking about um, a new concept in this theory called um, reflective harmonies. And basically, I guess to just keep this as concise as possible, it takes the ideas of, of tonal harmony as we know it, right? The five one idea that that, um, that we gravitate towards in, in harmony mm-hmm. and sort of turns it on its head and says, hey, you know, not only can you take this chord um, and play five one and get the, get this effect, but you can do you can take the notes of that chord and rearrange them based on a, an axis of uh, a certain axis between certain notes. I don't, I don't want to get too mm-hmm. too esoteric here, um, but the point was is that you can rearrange and use different notes to achieve the same effect that this this relationship already creates, right? Mm-hmm. And I went and tested it on the piano. I was like, oh my god, like yeah, it actually does. And so I was like, as soon as and I've heard that sound before. I was like, oh, that's what this is. Right. So, like, it gave me this, like, a, a immediate appreciation for all the times I've heard this before, but now I have a sort of a way of classifying it. Mm-hmm. So, to, to, to sum this up, no, I don't think I feel like I ever needed to know much music theory to really appreciate what I'm listening to. Um, I am a lifelong learner, so the more I learn, right, the more I can appreciate, right, the things that I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I, I quite answered the question. Yeah, the, yeah, I, I think I think that makes perfect sense, and I think you know that what you said is really interesting because I mean that's you know it's that realization of like something you hear that you're like oh you know that's how that works. I've I've come across that countless times, um, you know, playing something on the piano or you know listening to my favorite artist Jacob Collier, you know, where he kind of. He goes on these live streams and, and yeah, explains. Yeah, he, he has such amazing views on music theory. Right. That I had never thought of it that way before. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, well, we're kind of running out of time, but thank you so much for joining me today. I think everyone will be able to take something from your experiences. I definitely have. So thank you. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Of course. Take care. As we come to a close, you may or may not think about musicality the next time you listen to a song. The ear is just such a powerful tool, and by simply using it in a greater capacity, music becomes a whole new experience. Until next time, this is Bailey Goldstein.